0: Welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show, and today is January 24th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 24. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible, so today we're going to read from Genesis 24, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading now from God's Word in Genesis 24. Genesis 24 says this, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord has blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had— Put your hand under my thigh, that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, "Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came?" Abraham said to him, "See to it that you do not take my son back there." The Lord Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's household and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me. And he said, And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels and also until they have finished drinking. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold, gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets, four arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please. Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. Now, as for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on her sister's arm, and heard the words of Rebekah, her sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And they said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And so the man came to the house and unharnished the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were there with him and then the food was set before him to eat but he said I will not eat until I have said what I have to say he said speak on and so he said I am Abraham's servant the Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great he has given him flocks and herds silver and gold male servants and female servants camels and donkeys and Sarah my master's wife bore a son to my Master, when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angels with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, for my clan, and for my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you shall be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the water of the spring. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman to whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, "'Please let me drink.' And so she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, "'Drink, and I will give you camels also.' And so I drank, and she gave the camels drink also." And and then I asked her, "Whose daughter are you?" And she said, "The daughter of Bethuel Nahor's son, who Milca bore to him." And so I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for my for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right or to the left. And then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he said to the men who were with him, ate and drank, and they spent the night there. And when they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And then they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they said to Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And so they sent Rebecca, their sister, and the nurse, and Abraham Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may he become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring uh, possess the gate of those who hate him. And then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servants took Rebekah and went his way. And now Isaac had returned from Beryl Roy and was dwelling in the Jeb. And Isaac went out to mediate in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, Behold, there were camels, coming and rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw isaac she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant who is that man walking in the field to meet us the servant said it is my master and so he took her veil and covered herself and the servant told isaac all the things that he had done and then isaac brought her into the tent of sarah his mother and took rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her and so isaac was comforted after his mother's death And so in this chapter, what we see, what we've read, is that a wife is given for Isaac. And this account tells us how Rebekah becomes Isaac's wife and forms one of the longest episodes in this book of Genesis. Now, displaying exceptional narrative skill, the author highlights how God controls events so that after a long journey from Canaan to northern Mesopotamia, Abraham's servant is guided to Rebekah. The journey from Hebron where Sarah was was buried to Nahor where Rebekah lived was about 520 miles along ancient routes, a journey that would have taken Abraham's servant about 21 days to travel. A man traveling alone could go an average of 25 miles a day or so faster than a caravan whose travel speed would be about 17 to 23 miles per day. So like Abraham, Rebecca must leave her family and country in an act of faith in order uh, to journey to Canaan and to marry Isaac whom she's never met. Genesis' first audience would marvel at how God orchestrated the servant's faithfulness. Rebecca's positive response, and even some unlikely events, to bring about the marriage, they would be better able to see their existence as a result of the guiding hand of God. Now, in verse 1, the observation that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, it confirms a special relationship between the Lord and Abraham. Verses 2 and 6, Abraham here is deeply concerned that Isaac should not marry a Canaanite, and he fears that this will draw him away from the worship of the Lord. So from chapter 9 onward, the Canaanites are frequently portrayed as being wicked. Abraham must trust the Lord for this important task of finding a wife for Isaac to be his most reliable helpmate to To place a servant under oath, Abraham instructs, instructs him to put your hand under my thigh, now, in spite of having left Haran in northern Mesopotamia almost a hundred years earlier, Abraham refers to it as my country. He hopes that a wife may be found for Isaac from among his relatives there. And and although Abraham insists that Isaac's wife would come from his kindred in Mesopotamia, he emphasizes that Isaac himself should not return there. Isaac's future is to be in Canaan, for God has promised this land to Abraham's descendants. Later, Abraham's grandson Jacob will get wives from the same region, as we're going to see in Genesis 29. Verse 9, The servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham. Since striking one's thigh was probably understood as a sign of remorse and submission, the placing one's hand under the thigh of another may have indicated submission to that person's strength and authority. And by undertaking this action, the servant binds himself to obey Abraham's request. Verse 10, the Mesopotamia lies between the rivers that, that was the Greek title for the entire region between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. And so here, Mesopotamia is a translation for the Hebrew expression meaning Aram, of the two rivers. This is an expression that is more precisely only the northwestern part of Mesopotamia. Now, the city of Nahor is probably to be identified with Nakor, which is mentioned in ancient texts that were recovered from Mari on the Euphrates. This was located near Haran in an uh, outer... Mesopotamia. Nahor is also the name of Terah's father and Abraham's brother. The use of the same for both uh, a city and a person, it's not unusual for settlements that are sometimes named for people and, and, and people are sometimes named after places. Verses 12 through 14. The servants like Abraham has faith in the Lord and prayers for guidance. So the conditions set by the servant, they reveal that he is seeking a wife who has a generous and even a caring disposition similar to that of God who shows steadfast love to Abraham. Now, the specific request in verse 14 is not the ordinary way to ask for guidance. The servant might have better asked for wisdom to discern the best way for Isaac than to probe into how, how God had providentially appointed this. God graciously honors the request as his means of directing the events. Verse 16, the description of Rebekah as a maiden whom no man had known, it confirms that she is a virgin, creating the expectation she may well be the one intended by God to be Isaac's wife. Verses 17 through 20, Rebecca's actions mirror what the servant prayed for in verse 14. Verses 27 through 28, God's swift answer to the servant's prayer evokes an immediate response of worship and praise. Verse 29, the actions of Laban. So Rebecca's brother suggests he has taken on the day-to-day responsibility of overseeing the family. And while Laban's father Bethul is still alive, his lack of involvement in the narrative suggests that he may be inca- incapacitated due to age. Verses 34 through 39. Now, this long speech by the servant, it repeats much of what has already been narrated in the first part of this chapter. Additional minor details are included. For example, in verse 27, it reveals that the gold ring mentioned in verse 22 was put on Rebekah's nose. Verses 50 through 51. The thing has come from the Lord as the Lord has spoken. And so, Rebekah's brother and father acknowledge that providential nature of all that has taken place. It indicates that Rebekah should become Isaac's wife. This is the will of the Lord. Verse 53, the gifts confirm what the servant has earlier said about Abraham's wealth in verse 35. Verse 60, they blessed Rebecca. The hopes expressed in this brief blessing, they echo the divine oath made to Abraham in Genesis 22, 17, emphasizing both many descendants and a special descendant who will conquer his enemies. Verse 63, Isaac went out. This is another divinely direct event, which allows for Isaac to be the first person to meet rebecca when they arrive at isaac's homeland verse 65 she took her veil and covered herself now it was customary for a woman to cover her face with a veil during the period of betrothal verse 67 and she became his wife this is another key event leading towards the fulfillment of promise to make abraham a great nation now, today we meet uh, another prominent figure in the history of the people of God. As the father of Leah and Rachel, the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel, Laban has blood ties to the people of the Lord. But Laban does not share Jacob's faith in Genesis 29, and as we'll see in chapter 31, and not surprisingly, he gives God's chosen man much grief. Right away, we expect Laban to play a mixed, if not adversarial, role in the history of the church. His name is likely related to the cult of sin, a moon god worshipped in Haran, where Laban's great-grandfather, Terah, settled, according to Genesis eleven thirty one 31-32. And Laban's connection to pagan worship, it becomes clear later on when we read of his household idols being stolen in chapter 31. The Almighty calls Abraham to worship him, but many of the patriarch's relatives remain enslaved to false gods. Now, Laban's motivation for even showing hospitality to Abraham's servant in our chapter today, it also tells us that we're dealing with a shady character. And at first, his flight to the spring in Genesis 24-29. It seems to put his service on par with Abraham and Rebekah's godly hospitality that we see in Genesis 18, and as we see in Genesis uh, 24, 15-21. And yet, we also can infer that Laban is driven by greed from Moses' reference to his gaze at Rebekah's jewelry before offering a room to the servant in verse 30 of our chapter today. Now, Laban's specific mention of camels in verse 31 when he could have animals, it further supports this point as dromedaries were a luxury even for the wealthy in that day. Well, you see, Laban recognizes the possibility of material gain from this stranger and even serves him in hopes that he's going to profit, not Laban's mercenary disposition. It's also plain later on when he suckers Jacob into 14 years of service in Genesis 29 and even attempts to cheat his nephew out of his wages in Genesis 3025 to 36. And although not a believer, Laban would give wives to Isaac and even Jacob, and thus more descendants for Abraham. His motivations, though, were not pure, but the Lord used them to accomplish his sworn oath to Abraham. And thus God is shown to be sovereign over the believer and the idler alike, and often uses those with crooked motivations to help his people like we see in Daniel 3. We should not fear the machinations of the wicked, for the Lord will ultimately use their intent uh, for for evil to even further his intent for good, as we see in Romans 8.28. So whether it happens now or in the new heavens and the new earth, God will make the wicked intentions of his enemies work for the good of his people. He may even bring them to repentance to and increase his kingdom as he did with Joseph's brothers, as we'll see in Genesis 50. Or the Lord might even put our foes under our feet, as we see in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. Well, whatever course he adopts, take courage that though others around you may even have questionable intentions, all is going to work out for your final good. Well, in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, it records the parable of the wheat and the tares that Jesus gave during his teaching ministry. In this story, uh, Christ tells the seed of the serpent. In some ways, he even advances it alongside his holy people. Uh, This wheat will finally win out over the tares, but until judgment day, the devil's seed will also be growing. The parallel growth of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the Lord is depicted in Genesis. And one notable example of the simultaneous progression of the weed and the tares can be found by comparing the lives of Ishmael and Isaac. Both these men were rescued by an angel when at death's door, according to Genesis 21, 1 through 19 and Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Ishmael and Isaac are both promised many descendants in Genesis 21:18 and Genesis 22:15 through 18. Hagar's son then marries, guaranteeing the promise of Ishmael will come to pass. Now, this development it makes us expect Isaac to marry and be even bear descendants who will finally overcome Satan's realms. In our chapter, a God who will never fails to keep His word, He begins moving to bring a wife into Isaac's household. It all starts near the end of Abraham's life when Moses, for the first time, adds his editorial comment: that the patriarch has indeed been blessed." In Genesis twenty four one. But this blessing cannot continue without offspring through Isaac, and thus Abraham implores his servant to place his hand under the patriarch's thigh and even swear an oath to find a wife for Isaac among his clan. In verses two through four, now it was customary in the ancient Near East to swear oaths by touching something sacred, and this is what happens here. The servant touched Abraham, which symbolized the Lord's holy promise to bring many descendants from the patriarch, as we see in Genesis 17:6. Abraham is resolved to procure. Isaac's wife, from his kindred, not from the Canaanites. The Israelites were forbidden from marrying pagans in Deuteronomy 7, 1-4. And so the fathers of this great people also had to look for women who were not bound to false deities of Canaan, lest they be led astray. Of course, this rule applies to the new covenant as well. Christians are not to seek out spouses from those who do not love Jesus, as we see in Second Corinthians 6.14. John Christendom comments, that the patriarch acted in this from concern for the soul's virtue and abhorrence of the wicked of the Canaanite inhabitants. And so Abraham's chief concern was for Isaac to marry a covenant member. If you are single, even looking for a spouse, this concern must be yours as well. If you have relatives or friends who want to marry, pray for them to find a believer and advise them to look for a Christian spouse. Sometimes we make things more complicated than they even need to be. We agonize over the will of God, thinking and even understanding It should be arduous and even time-consuming. We weigh our options again and again, expelling much effort and in making our choice. Well, there's times when making a decision, it requires deep consideration, and that requires slow and careful consideration. But in many cases, discerning the will of God is actually very simple, and it does not even require a special sign from above or an extraordinary insight to make the right choice. Our Lord gives us general principles to follow, and we need to make our decisions based on those. Let's ask a question. Is the vocation lawful? Do I have the skills to do it, or can I acquire them? Do others believe I have the aptitude for this vocation? Can I provide for my family, and do I think I will enjoy doing it? If the answer to all those simple questions is yes, if the answer is obvious, I can freely choose that vocation. We can even complicate things when it comes to choosing a spouse. If we are single, perhaps we think we need a special insight from the Lord on who we should marry. If it is our child or a friend who is seeking a spouse, we may even look for a special revelation from God regarding the person who we should wed. Perhaps we need to find encouragement for such thinking from stories such as in our chapter today in which Abraham's servant prays for a sign as to whom Isaac should find as his wife. And yet the Lord never promises us such special revelation. And finding a wife for Isaac was a special case in the history of redemption. And yet scripture does give us general principles for this decision. In 2 Corinthians 6:14 we can ask, is the potential spouse a believer? If you're a woman, is a potential husband somebody who you can submit? If you're a man, is a potential wife someone whom you can lead spiritually and love deeply as Ephesians 5:22-33 says? Is a potential spouse not a relative to whom God would prohibit marriage, according to Leviticus 18. If you are a woman, is the potential husband a hard worker who would provide for his household, as First Timothy 5:8 says? If you are a man, is the potential wife prudent, as Proverbs 19:14 says? Do you enjoy one another's company, as Ecclesiastes 9:9 9, 9 says? If these questions can be answered affirmatively, and there are no other reasonable objections from other people, then there not be, need to be much agonizing over the decision. The potential spouse is a good choice and you are free to marry him or her. Now, whether we are looking for a spouse ourselves or even seeking to help another person discern a choice for marriage, we are to be guided by wisdom in the principles given in the Word of God. Following these principles will help us make a good choice and to give sound advice, and they can also help us avoid many problems down the road after the wedding. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is January 24th, and we've looked at Genesis 24. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.